Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like Good morning, good morning, good morning. Where in the word are you today? I am in Luke chapter 20. It is the 20th day of December. We are reading through the Bible together and we arrive today at the 20th chapter of the gospel according to Luke. And you're saying to yourself, hey, I thought that the Christmas story is, you know, like really in in Luke like one and two. Like, what are you guys doing at Luke chapter 20? Well, We are um, reading the entirety of the Gospel of Luke prior to Christmas. And so if you have not yet joined us, please consider doing so today. MyFaithRadio.com, reading through the Bible. We are reading through the Gospel of Luke. We arrive today at the 20th chapter. And yes, we have chapter 1 and the proclamation of the coming of Christ uh, in view. And yes, we have... Chapter 2 of Luke, the birth of Christ in view, but we also have the cross of Christ in view. And so when we arrive at Luke chapter 20, we are talking about the authority of Jesus being questioned. It's the chapter where Jesus offers the uh, parable of the tenants asking, um, really asking the people of his day what they understood in terms of the messianic um, psalms that they would read. And so in in Luke 19, we actually hear the people shouting uh, Hosanna Hosanna, you know, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that is an excerpt from Psalm 118. And so one of the things Jesus is asking them in the parable of the tenants is, you know, like when you when you're singing those psalms, um what are you expecting of the Messiah? Because m- that might not be who I turn out to be. There is the question about paying taxes to Caesar, the question about resurrection and marriage, um, whose son is this. There's all kinds of uh, conversations and teaching in Luke chapter 20. So please join us today at MyFaithRadio.com as we're reading through the Bible. Actually, today is um, one of the days that I am on the podcast with my sweet colleague, Angela Smith. And so Uh, If you want to catch up with the daily podcast related to the reading through the Bible, that's available also at MyFaithRadio.com. Now, uh, here's an important headline of the day, which if I haven't done so already, let me welcome you. If you're a first time here, I'm Carmen LaBerge, and you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. There is a candy cane crisis. I don't know if you're aware of this yet, of all of the headlines that I could have selected to lead off this morning. I feel like uh, for many people, particularly people like my husband, um, for whom the peppermint stick in the candy cane form is an essential component part of the Christmas hot chocolate. I feel like uh, for people like my husband, this is maybe the most important headline of the day. There is a candy cane crisis. I know. I know. You didn't know this. You've been to the grocery store. You've seen lots of candy canes. None of them you might note this year are peppermint. There's all kinds of candy canes this year. Have you noticed? 
they're not peppermint. Have you asked yourself, why is that? Why is there like the twisted Nerds version or the uh, other like Sour Patch Kids version or the, I mean, there's all kinds of versions out there of the candy cane this year. None of them are peppermint. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Here's why. I have done the research and I bring to you this story from the New York Post. Candy cane shortage caused by COVID and supply chain issues. That's right. Uh, there is an agricultural story here. There's a global supply chain story here. And there's also a story about the connection between agriculture and construction. Because apparently there's not enough peppermint. And so there's not enough peppermint oil. And therefore there's not a lot of peppermint candy canes. And then the pe- the peppermint candy canes that are out there having a hard time uh, arriving at your store shelves because... Well, yeah, you know where they are. They're on container ships somewhere out in an ocean. So there's only half the available candy canes this year, which has then led to a strain. Listen to this from the article. A serious strain in the gingerbread house construction industry. And, of course, grumpy grandpas everywhere, like my husband, who won't have a peppermint stick to stir in their hot chocolate. There you go. Uh, Know what there's not a shortage of? Not a shortage of the good news of great joy that shall be for all people. That's right. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulders, and we shall call him Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And there's no supply chain breakdown if you and I are the great good news people. So let's not get jammed up or stalled out. Uh, This is the day the Lord has made, and for some, this is the day of salvation. Let's be the good news people who go out there and share the good news of great joy. All right, last night, my granddaughter Evelyn was singing and playing the keyboard at their little church production. One of my favorite Christmas hymns, O Come All Ye Faithful, was a part of that. We're going to talk next about one of my brand new favorite Christmas songs. We'll be right back. Come all ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant. One of our favorite historic Christmas hymns or Christmas carols, but to which we don't all have exactly the same response if we consider the words. Lisa Clow joins me now. She's an artist, a songwriter, a singer, a musician, and she is the person behind my new favorite Christmas carol or hymn, O Come All You Unfaithful. Lisa, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, I appreciated your um, your Facebook post where you asked everybody to pray for you that all your alarms <laughs> would work and that your kids would be quiet. And let me just say, we um, on this program do not expect children to be quiet. So don't, <laughs> well, that so don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Talk with us. Um, give us the story behind this song. It's pretty new. It's certainly new. Um, in this in this year to me. I know it's not brand new, but talk with us about the story yeah. behind O Come All You Unfaithful. Yeah. So um, the short is, uh, it, w- it was a few years ago. It's been a really long year for my husband and I. Um, finances were really tight and we had miscarried twins in the fall. And then um, I was just battling bitterness uh, with the couple of relationships. And I, you know, I had gone to church 
for our Christmas service, we had an Advent kickoff and um, my pastor had asked me to sing in the choir. And I was like, oh, I just, I can't do that. I was so, um, I was really overwhelmed. And I thought, you know, I cannot face my church this morning or that morning. Mm. And um, I didn't tell him that. I was just like, oh, I can't participate, you know. And um, I went that morning with my husband and the first song was, oh, come all you faithful. And I love that song. Um, I still love that song, but the first lines are what you guys played or what you just said, come all you faithful, joyful and triumphant. And I was just so aware of how unfaithful I had been, um, how much joy I lacked and how of a giant failure I felt. And, um, I was, I went home, I was just so discouraged and, um, and later that night, I just, I was thinking about Matthew 11, where it says, uh, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I was like, yeah, that's the invitation that Jesus gives. He gives, he welcomes the hurting, the sick, the the weary. And um, so I just started writing, oh, come all you unfaithful. And then my friend Bob Coughlin and I, and a couple other people made it what it is today. I love that. We're going to um we're going to listen to the song O Come All You Unfaithful. Um and then when we come back we're going to talk more with Lisa Clow. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen.
talking with singer and songwriter Lisa Clow about this particular song. If you have never heard it before, it is new to some of us, but some of you are very familiar with it. Oh, come all you unfaithful. In fact, uh, Lisa, listener Lori wrote in during that break. Hey, I've been listening to this song because I'm going to sing it at church this next Sunday. And considering what I do for a living, working with broken families and broken people, I wish I could sing this song to all of them. Oh, wow. That is amazing. (laughs) Wow. So let's talk about what you've heard from folks um, who, you know, have heard and are using um, this particular song. Maybe what you're hearing from worship leaders, you know, as they introduce their congregations to, Oh, come all you unfaithful. Yeah. Wow. I, you know, it's been fun. We, we did about three concerts this year and I got to sing that song and talk to people afterwards. And I met, I met some teenagers, um, at one of the last concerts that they said their dad was in, um, the car listening and they were like, he had to pull over cause he was just crying so much. Mm. And, um, and they're not, I, I can't remember exactly what they said, but they were like, yeah, we're not actually, and they weren't a part of the group of churches that we were visiting. And, um, then I met another man recently who came up to me very emotional and was speaking about, um, his family that has basically disowned him about three years ago. And, um, because of just his, uh, faith unfaithfulness. And, um, I think he came to know the Lord in the last few years and he didn't, he hadn't heard the song until the night I sang it at the concert. And, um, he was just like, that's exactly where I am. Um, and it's just really humbling to hear one that people would be so vulnerable with me and, and share their experiences, but that God is using just these simple words, um, in the hearts of people. It's such a uh, lo- lonely time. I think Christmas can be mm-hmm. such a lonely time. So. And, a, and a time when, you know, it's, it's one thing to kneel um, at a manger throne. It's another thing to recognize that, you know, he came to die, um, mm. you know, on purpose and for a purpose. And it's, it's you know, it's just so hard for us to imagine that when we're considering, you know, this brand new life of this beautiful you know, glowy infant, right? And yet right. that's that's the Christ who came to die. Right. Um, and I just, I so appreciate how honest the song is, um, you know, just in each one of its lines. Here's one that catches me. <clears throat> um, come, though you have nothing, come. He is the offering. Mm. I wonder if there's, um, I wonder if there's a phrase that, you know, maybe comes up frequently or that you recall somebody lifting up and saying, that's the line that brought me up short. Yeah. Yeah. I would say definitely that one. Um, that's when I hear a lot and then, um, bitter and broken for sure Mm. is one I think with relationships, especially, um, this time of year, you are so aware of, at least I could be in the past of where my lack of relationships or aware of what has been severed. And then you're faced with meeting with people for meals or parties that you're not invited to anymore. Um, Or Christmas morning, 
you're not with your family because especially this man that I met, like he's not going to be spending um, time with his family and it's just in your face. And, mm-hmm. um, and then also uh, uh, barren and waiting is one I've heard. I've met a family mm-hmm. who just a family who had lost their daughter um, and they were explaining to me that their Christmas is just a really hard time. Um, cause they're very aware that she's not with them. Um, and I've, I've, yeah, I've just met so many people about with miscarriages or, um, just death in the family. Um, and I think it strikes a chord, um, that you're, you're thinking about the death of your own child. Um, when you're also celebrating in this ju- juxtaposition of, of Christ being born, it's, it's really profound, um, in that you could lose everything. You have nothing. Um, but really, if we believe the gospel, if we believe scripture, um, we can believe that loss is gain. We can believe that Christ is enough for us. He has come for us. His, um, even in the midst of our mourning. Um, you've taken me, um, you know, you've taken me at a heart level, um, into, the stories of so many of the members of my family and my friends um, and those, you know, sort of in the concentric circles of people who I know the the barren and waiting. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thinking right now about some friends who have been in the adoption process. They have, their son has been with them for, I mean, all but like the first six days of his life. And they went to what they thought was going to be the final appointment and they had to give him back. Oh, and and they have a uh, a daughter who is like two and a half, and so mm-hmm. she does not understand. Like, where did my brother go? Like, what you know? And they don't understand either. Like, you don't understand all yeah. that happens. And but um, the the barren and waiting part, um, particularly for families who long to have a child, and um, it's it is. It's incredibly difficult to understand and comprehend. We we acknowledge that the Lord, you know, is good and He's the giver of life, um, and and we don't always understand why we're barren and waiting. Um, and so, thank you. Um, it's it's such a powerful song. Um, yeah, and I hope God I hope God gives you more. But if He doesn't, mm. I think I am so thankful He gave you this song uh, uh, because thanks. it's such a gift. We have another um, listener who wrote in um, that this reminds him of a song by Michael W. Smith called Never Been Unloved. So I'm sure that feels like a compliment to you as well. Um, And then a listener who says, this is absolutely beautiful. I love this song so much. Thank you for playing it. Um, And thank thank Lisa for writing it. So Lisa, thank you for your faithfulness and vulnerability and offering it up out of, you know, out of your own place of standing there and not being able in good conscience to sing, Oh, come all ye faithful, you know, you, you brought forth instead, or in, in addition, this incredible Christmas song. So thank you so very much. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. That's Lisa Clow. You can follow her online. Lisa Clow music is a great uh, place to find her. The song is, Oh, come all you unfaithful. We'll be right back.
When you consider the people around you in your life and you consider um, maybe the town in which you live, you consider the church pews where you gather, um, is the number growing or receding in terms of Christians in the culture? And, And our perception of that is certainly that it's receding. But is that right? Is that accurate? Are there more or less people in the United States of America who acknowledge that they are Christians. Yeah, I'm going to ask Daniel Bennett. That's up next. We'll be right back. I recently attended a wedding that was all the things it should be. Meaningful, beautiful, and lots of fun. But the best part was watching my friend walk his stunning daughter down the aisle. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Parents know it's coming, the day when they'll release their little girl to her new husband. It'll be full of emotion, and for many of us dads, it'll be one of the hardest things we do. I encourage you to start praying now for the mate that your son or daughter will marry. Pray that the Lord will bring a spouse who is kind, mature, and loves God. Then think about how to encourage your own child to be the same way. In just a short time, your little girl might be walking down the aisle. Let's pray for that day and trust God in the process. Parenting Teens isn't for the faint of heart. Want more help from Mark Gregston? Check out his latest resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org. It came upon the midnight clear That glorious song Daniel Bennett is joining us again today. You can find him at John Brown University. You can also find him at his Uneasy Citizenship blog on Substack. So he is Daniel Bennett. Welcome back, sir. Thanks very much for having me. All right. So I do have some Christmas questions for you, but I'd like to lead off with this. Is it just my perception that there are like fewer convictional Christians in the culture or is it reality? (laughs) Well, I, I think it's probably uh, a bit of social media's fault, honestly. Um, I, I was listening to a podcast the other day with Liz Brunig, who writes uh, for, for The Atlantic, and she mentioned that uh, we're not really meant to be uh, talking and hearing from so many people all the time on social <laughs> media like we do. Uh, in fact, you know, if we go back, you know, a, a, you know, a few thousand years or whatever, we're, you know, supposed to be around 20 or 50 people for all of our lives, basically. Mm. Um, and so I think it does exaggerate uh, some some trends that we do see, maybe making it more intense than the things actually are. But looking at cultural trends, uh, yeah, I think it's probably decreased over the past several decades. Um, I'm not sure it's to the point that we're supposedly seeing as, as uh, portrayed through social media and, and mm-hmm. the media's coverage of things. Um, but certainly for, you know, I, I think I think things certainly have changed in general. Yeah, I think there's also sort of once people imagine that something is trending in a particular direction, they feel more comfortable admitting maybe the truth about themselves. And so as the percentage of people in the American culture say out loud, no, I'm not a Christian and right. I'm not ashamed to not be a Christian, other people who maybe have been 
checking off that box for some period of time are more comfortable saying, you know what, in reality, I'm not a Christian either. So um, I'm looking at this new, you know, research from from Pew and roughly three in 10 adults in America now say they are religiously unaffiliated. That's a pretty significant decline in the share of the U.S. population you know, that say, yeah, I'm a Christian. So, you know, from 78% in 2007 down to 63% today, um, it's probably not an actual decline so much as a decline in those who finally admit, you know, that they were just checking off a box and this wasn't really their faith anyway. Well, Ryan Burge, who's at Eastern Illinois University, wrote a really good book about this called The Nuns. And in the book, he kind of corrects some misconceptions. So first of all, I think you're exactly right that there there is this trend. Um, but it's more complicated than to say, you know, three in 10 Americans are now uh, atheists or even agnostic. Because what Burge mm-hmm. does in, in looking at the data is actually the majority of people who, who affiliate with the, that nuns category would describe themselves as spiritual, but not necessarily religious. So maybe these are folks who aren't willing to, to give up some of the trimmings of organized religion entirely. Uh, they might even say, well, you know, I believe there's something out there, but I'm, I'm just a little disaffiliated right now from, from the church for whatever reason. So I think we do need to be digging into that data a bit more and see the implications. But yeah, I think you're exactly right. If we were to go back to the founding of the country, for example, there's no way that three out of 10 people in the founding era are going to say, oh, yeah, I'm not religious. I mean, just culturally, you were a Christian then, right? Mm-hmm. Even if you weren't a Christian, you went to church. <laughs> so I think well, and, and now, true as, uh, so the flip of that might be there are people who consider themselves Christians but don't go to church. Sure. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, I, I, you know, I have family like that. I'm sure a lot mm-hmm. of your listeners have family like this who say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I haven't been to church in years because of X, Y, and Z. Um, and so, again, it muddies the water a little bit. Um, and, of course, we haven't even talked about the follow-up to this is, okay, maybe people who are now affiliating and identifying as Christians – uh, explicitly, maybe these folks hold to more, uh, you know, orthodox views more strongly than previous generations of Christians did. So I do think we're at a really interesting point in studying American religion. Um, and the rise of the nuns is certainly something worth watching, but so is the number of Christians that remain in the country. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, let's not lose sight of the fact that 63% of the American population is a really big number. Sure. Right? And I think I I do think that that is one of the things that, um, Dan, we don't we don't maybe say often enough, like 63 percent of the adult population in America is a lot of people. Right. Yeah. And I think I think if you do go back and mention this, the founding era, you know, I mean, was it 90 percent of that era and that those people living in the 1790s were committed professing Christians? I mean, I'm skeptical of that, just what we know about cultural religion and cultural Christianity. So for 230 years later to have three-fifths of the population expressing Orthodox Christian views, I mean, that is a high number. And that's pretty impressive considering the, the cultural shifts that we've seen over the past several decades. Yeah, I'll also say that, you know, when I look at um, numbers like this and and trends like this, it does, I think, open the possibility up of, you know, having something sort of, you know, out there um, that I can point to and talk about with 
with friends and even members of my own family who, you know, this might be a hard conversation to otherwise have. But, you know, you can point to statistics and and say, uh, which are kind of dispassionate. Right. And you can say, gosh, this is this seems like an interesting trend. Look at this. You know, how do you respond to it? What do you think about this? How would you answer these questions without saying, hey, it kind of strikes me that you're not really a Christian and maybe this is a good time of year to have that conversation, right? I mean, this is a, a yeah. like, stat, statistics give us sometimes an, an interesting entry point into conversation with people. Yeah, absolutely right. And I think social, as a social scientist, I'm looking at the stuff that, that Ryan Burge is doing and Sam Perry and Andrew Whitehead are doing on, on what they call Christian nationalism. And I think that's useful stuff, but it's also as, as the, t- the researcher who does the stuff that I do, it's kind of an entry point and saying, okay, what can we look into now with the statistical data that we see and dig in and drill down a bit deeper to find out what's actually happening under the surface? And that's to say nothing of the interpersonal conversations we can have like you were just talking about. Mm-hmm. All right. So um, Dan Bennett and I are going to um, talk next about how he sort of sees the year in review um, and I'm going to um, ask him to just at least give me some reflection on a headline I felt like I could not ignore this morning. President Trump was invited to speak yesterday um, at a Baptist church in Dallas where he was supposed to bring a Christmas message. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, we're talking with Daniel Bennett. You can find him at John Brown University. You can also find him on Substack, where he publishes his Uneasy Citizenship blog. Uh, so I don't want to get into it too deeply. I'll go ahead and confess that. But I couldn't ignore the headline that the former president was invited to speak yesterday at First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas, and, um, I don't know, made some political comments I mean, he did say what needed to be said. Our country has a savior and it's not me. It's someone much, much higher than me. But he also concluded what was supposed to be a Christmas message with America first, make America great again. So um, I don't know. Some thoughts, Daniel Bennett? Yeah. uh, You know, obviously, this isn't the first instance of a political figure uh, speaking in churches. Um, This has been going on for for most of our history, actually. I do think uh, it, it makes a little bit of sense uh, for for a couple of reasons. Uh, first of all, of course, Robert Jeffress's church in Dallas has kind of been the place for uh, Republican elites to visit over the years. Uh, of course, Mike Pence, when he was vice president, visited the church. And, uh, you know, Vice President Pence was much more natural in those types of environments. Uh, you know, as a, you know, it's pretty obvious, uh, he pretty much wears his uh, faith on his sleeve pretty, pretty easily and, and naturally. He was a Christian talk show radio host. So, you know, he's yeah, kind of used to doing that's it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then you get someone like Donald Trump in there who, you know, frankly, it's just not his, not his scene. You know, he's, he's a New Yorker, not to say the New Yorkers aren't Christians, but he, he did not grow up in that kind of environment. Uh, we've seen time and time again, he's just really uncomfortable, it seems, talking about these particular issues. And it seems like he just doesn't know how to do it well. Um, th- I don't think that was really the point for the visit, though. I, I do think that that Jeffress uh, is is pretty strategic in saying, oh, you know, this would probably be good, good publicity for the church and we'll get a lot of views and people will hear more about us. I don't necessarily think it's totally disingenuous on his part either. I think he might realize Look, this guy's not going to be speaking an incredible Christmas message, but goodness, if more people find out about the church and they come to visit, maybe they can hear the gospel. 
And, and mm-hmm. so maybe that's maybe there's a little bit of calculation there. I don't know if I would agree with the strategy, but uh, I'm willing to give uh, the pastor a little bit of a, a mulligan and, and uh, hopefully he's doing it for the right reasons. I love that. Such a generous spirit. All right. So your <laughs> thoughts, um, your thoughts about topics or trends in, from 2021 and maybe some questions that you're asking as we head into 2022. Yeah, so obviously, I think it was the it was the pandemic. Uh, we're, we're we're entering uh, what will be the the third calendar year of the pandemic. Obviously, I think 2021 looked uh, different in a lot of ways from the first year, uh, with the widely available uh, vaccines and you know improving information about how the virus spreads and what things are useful in fighting it. Uh, you know, initially we initially we thought well, we have to you know close schools and no one can be in proximity to one another, but pretty quickly realize actually public schools are, are generally okay, provided some measures are taken. Um, but the things that I'm really watching for are the continued polarization of responses uh, to these to these things. Um, it doesn't really seem like we're headed in any better place right now in terms of reaching a consensus on how we should respond. Uh, and with this uh, increasing variant, we still don't know a ton about it. Um, I, I'm not really optimistic we're going to see any type of cohesion as a society. I think we're going to be much more polarized in our response as we've seen over the last two plus years. 2022, uh, it's not lost on me that it is an election cycle year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Anything, you know, as I mean, I think that the polarization that you just addressed and the question of cohesion as a society, those probably are the um the tensions that exist when we look at the 2022 election cycle, um, I think people are afraid that it might come apart at the seams. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a concern. Uh, personally, I, I'm not as concerned for fall uh, 2022. I'm definitely more concerned about 2024, depending on where we are as a, as a, as a culture in the next two years. Uh, but honestly, you know, think looking ahead to the to the midterm elections, historically, the president's party does poorly in the midterms. Uh, and, and frankly, we're still in relatively unusual times right now with the virus and with the economic uh, uncertainty. So I, I fully expect uh, the Republican Party to uh, to recapture the House of Representatives, um, maybe even the Senate as well. It's, it's kind of a weird map for Republicans in 2022. Uh, but, you know, if history is an indication, uh, President Biden has a little less than a year left in his agenda to try to get anything substantively done. And then uh, with divided government, uh, it's going to be obviously even harder. So um, that's something to look for, uh, look for in 2022. Uh, you know, and, and I think speaking of the uh, division, that's only going to get magnified on the campaign trail, right? Because elections tend to incentivize extremist rhetoric, Right. Um, people mm. who talk about reconciliation and coming together, they don't get elected on that. They try to govern like that sometimes or after the after the election, they try to spout that rhetoric. But usually it's magnifying the differences that we see in one another. And that's not maybe great at this time. <laughs> mm-hmm. OK, so I'm going to um, I'm going to speak a sentence and or make a declaration and then invite you just to respond to it. 2021 is the year of the Lord. And then I'm going to make the next statement. 2022 is the year of the Lord. Amen. Honestly. Yeah, I mean, it's so easy to get caught up in the headlines, to get caught up in the 
the the day to day and and what's newsworthy any you know from one minute to the next. Um, I do think, uh, and I need to do this a lot better. Uh, Christians need to have an eternal perspective. This doesn't mean disengaging from our cultural and social uh, issues of the day. It does mean remembering that despite what happens in our politics and in our culture, uh, we have a hope that outlasts uh, Facebook, Twitter, uh, that's, that's, that was uh, before the foundation of America, that was, for, that was before the foundation of the earth, really. Uh, so that, that eternal perspective is so important for Christians to just take a step back and say, we're okay. The body of Christ mm-hmm. will endure in whatever circumstance comes. Yesterday um, in worship, my pastor was focused on uh, the words in Isaiah 40, you know, behold your mm-hmm. God, mm-hmm. right? And, I, and I'm thinking of John you know, saying, you know, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. If we would spend more time beholding God and recognizing that, you know, he holds it all in the palm of his hand, um, maybe we would be more celebratory and eyes upward as opposed to feeling, I don't know, feeling underfoot all the time. And so I just thought that today might be a good time for you and I to, you know, lift up our eyes as we look toward 2022. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, you know, I said it, I, I, I can do this a lot better. Uh, I am a political science professor. And so I spend a lot of time talking with students who are interested in politics and, and engaging the culture and the political systems. And I think these are great things, especially for young people looking to, you know, find their, find their vocation and find where God wants them. Um, but man, it is so important to put all that in perspective. And I think mm-hmm. your pastor hit the nail on the head. Uh, it, it, if we're going to start doing it, let's start doing it just today. Let's let's do that today and uh, see how that affects our uh, perspective on on the world and the difficulties that we're supposedly seeing uh, every single day. Amen. All right, uh, one um, one favorite Chris- Christmas tradition or something you're doing this week that you're kind of excited about. Well, a couple things. Uh, Christmas Eve, uh, our family, uh, our kids rather, uh, open Christmas uh, pajamas on Christmas Eve. And so they get new pajamas Christmas Eve and they stay in them all Christmas Day because why get dressed? Um, so that's fun. And uh, that's sort Christmas- of a that's that's a nice control mechanism for all the pictures because oh. everybody's oh, yeah. going to get up in and open their gifts in outfits that you want them wearing in all those photographs. There's some there's some mama strategy there. Let me just say. Yeah, yeah. It, was, yeah, it wasn't good. my I like idea. It. Let, let, mm-hmm. Let's put it that way. Ah. It wasn't mine. Oh, but, I like yeah. it. I like it. Yeah, and then jelly rolls on Christmas morning. It's a family recipe that my wife makes, and um, that those are always uh, good to have. Although I realized in the past couple of years, I need to supplement that with some protein because otherwise the crash comes hard around eleven <laughs> o'clock. <laughs> I love it. That is so great. Oh, Daniel, have so much fun this Christmas. Um, Thank you so much for sharing with us throughout the year. We look forward uh, with you to 2022. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. We'll be right back. I can't wait for you to come. I just can't wait for you to come. All right. I love the the pajama tradition and the jelly roll tradition. Paul Perot, you got any, uh, you got any, you got any Christmas, uh, 
things we ought to know about. I understand that you hoarded the candy canes, and that's why they are not available for the rest of us. <laughs> well, that's we the bought, word on the street. You bought early. That's what mm-hmm. we did. We bought early, and so mm-hmm. there's only. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Excuse me. We have this now you mug. have to lock your doors. Now you yeah, have to lock know, your doors because everybody know, knows all know. the candy canes are at your house. They're, no, mm-hmm. it's it's like we bought a couple of boxes, but that's enough. I'm mm-hmm. not a big candy cane person. Like your husband, my wife likes to have some in her hot chocolate. So. Yeah, well, you know my address, so I might yeah. need a stick or two for Jim's hot chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what I can do if, uh, if yeah, Jessica is, good, is willing. It's a yeah. good man. Yeah. It's a little late. I mean, I know. It's probably <laughs> it's probably crazy late to try to do that. Yeah. All right. Um, what is it? Uh, what is TikTok? TikTok, right? What is it late for? Um, all right. It's not too late to make 2021 the year of the Lord for you. This could be the year of salvation. Like, I don't want this year to get away from us without our saying... You know, like eyeball to eyeball with one another. I see you and I want you to know the Lord I know. I want I want you to know who Jesus is and what his coming is all about. And I want you to bow at his manger throne this year. I want you to enthrone him in your heart as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Um, make this 2021 the year of the Lord. And the way that you do that is you turn to him and you say, thank you, God, for this great gift. Um, I am unfaithful, but he is ever faithful. He is good and great and gracious, and I receive him. We've got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.